Hello, and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Revolution 22 Sunday morning service. And I hope you've been enjoying the, the photos that Bren has been posting before the teaching starts. Um, I'm looking forward to all the memes that it's going to generate very soon. So if you have any ideas, go ahead and share them with us. Uh, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here at our church. And I'm here to share one thing with you before we hear the teaching, and that is about worship. And I'm sure some of you have asked us this question about why aren't we doing a live stream of singing and worship on Sunday mornings. And some of you maybe have thought about it. And the main reason why we're not doing it is not because we don't believe in it. There's value in that. But the main reason is because we want to remind you in the season the value of worship and how important it is for all of us to worship God wherever we are right now and in any situation that you're right now living through. So we're trying something new this Sunday onwards. We're going to be adding a Spotify playlist that has songs that we will be singing on Sunday if we were gathering here. And you are welcome to push pause to this video and listen to those songs and sing along with them, with your family, before you listen to the teaching. And it's going to be in the description of this video. And those of you who are watching this video on YouTube, we'll be putting the links. So we'll have the YouTube links on YouTube for you to watch these videos and sing along with that. And what I want to encourage all of you is that no matter where you are, if you have a guitar in your house, if you have a piano that's in your living room, if you have a child who can play an instrument, I really encourage you to ask them to play these instruments and sing along with you. If you need help in learning a few songs, we have a lot of folks on the worship community in our church. We have people who lead worship in kids' service, in, in the main service. So ask us how we can help you to learn songs, to play songs, so that you can sing songs in the living room and in the kitchen with your family, okay? And some of you, I know, are missing live worship on Sundays, and there's nothing wrong if you tune into another church that's doing it right now on Sundays. So tune in and sing along with them and worship God. Our, our main focus in the season is that you are worshiping God in spirit and in truth, no matter what you're going through, through singing, through your life, through your actions, that you are finding ways to see that God is in control and that you're worshiping God through what you have. That is our desire, okay? So I'm going to pray for Bryn as he is going to share God's word. So if you can, pause what we are doing and close your eyes and join me with prayer. That'll be, that'll be really awesome. So let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for this beautiful, beautiful day. We thank you that you are God, that you are in control. And as we come before you in hearing your word being taught this morning, God, I pray that you'll open our eyes to see truth for what it is. You'll open our ears to listen and understand what you're teaching us, and open our hearts to receive what you have in store for us this morning, God. We thank you because you're here, and you want to be known by us. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's uh, Palm Sunday. We're excited to be here with you, even though we aren't in person. I'm praying fervently that the Lord would allow us at some point soon to be able to gather together again. Uh, it is really interesting, though, if you think about kind of over the history of Life, what people tend to turn to God notoriously when things 
are hard or things go bad, whether it's a, a church attendance tends to go up in leaps and bounds when questions are at. Obviously, this is one of those ones where we can't tell for sure if church attendance has been affected. But global catastrophes or financial crises or war tend to draw people to Jesus. They tend to draw him to him with kind of suddenly everyone wants to start asking these big questions, you know, the hard ones. The, they want Jesus to be a king of something. And similar to the, the text we're in, it's the same kind of story where we want a king. On Palm Sunday, the, the people proclaimed that he was king, but they were proclaiming something based on their own presuppositions, their own assumptions of what he was going to do, based on the fact that they wanted him to be a king the way they wanted him to be a king, not necessarily what he was doing. And so we can get in a difficult spot. We can say, God, we want Jesus, you know, we want you to ride into the city and become the king of, and pay our bills or help us find a job or, or take care of our health or all these things that we want immediately right now. Jesus, take care of those things. But if we're not careful, it can be something that actually does the same thing that happened 2,000 plus years ago, the same mistake they made. We could be making the same one. See, Jesus, looking to Jesus to save us amidst our fears and struggles. And let me show you why I think that and why I think that this is potentially a struggle or a same mistake that we make over and over again. Look at Matthew chapter 21. If you have your Bibles, turn with me there. Verse 1 is where we're going to be. And it's the triumphal, it's one of the accounts of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. This is kind of the beginning of the last week of his life, what you see right here. It says this in verse 1. It says, Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. Okay, this is an interesting section, a little bit of history coming into this. One is we actually don't know where Bethpage is. We assume it's close to Bethany. Obviously, it says Mount of Olives, so we know it's, it's kind of towards the eastern gate of Jerusalem. And again, something to pay attention to that's really important for us when we look at anything around Jerusalem is that Jerusalem was always elevated. So everything that was happening was coming up to Jerusalem. So when the crowds assemble a little bit later in this text and they start saying things, it would have been really easy to look down from the, from the gates of Jerusalem, from the, from the city of Jerusalem, to see this big crowd happening. Jesus is showing up to Jerusalem around Passover, and Passover is, is the celebration of the Jews and their freedom that they received in the Exodus from, from being under, out of Egypt or being out of, under control from Egypt. And so they're during this time, this is when Jesus shows up. It's interesting that if you think about it, that the Jews were still religiously following these ceremonies, these festivals, even though they were celebrating the freedom that was brought to their fathers from Egypt while they were being oppressed and led by Caesar in Rome at this time. Bethpage, again, we don't know where it is. One thing that we do find out from the Gospel of John or the account on this is that Jesus had become pretty well known in this area because of raising Lazarus from the dead out of Bethany. In fact, John tells us that basically Lazarus was kind of this celebrity in the sense that they many people wanted to talk to him and know about him and, and, and see what he experienced because of the fact that he was fully dead and then Jesus had raised him from the, from the dead. 
Then we get this, this little account of donkeys. And, and Matthew tells us it's to fulfill a prophecy. We, we see the prophecy out of Zechariah. And also we can, we can look and see that um, Isaiah 62 as well applies to this. But there's a, a little discrepancy that I want to talk about in the donkeys here first before we move on. All of the other gospel accounts talk about one donkey. And even the, the prophecy talks about one donkey. But Matthew says that there are two donkeys. And so is it that Matthew just didn't understand the prophecy? Or is there something else going on there? I think as I studied it, it looks a little bit like it makes sense. We, we understand from the Gospel of Mark and Matthew that it's a colt. It's a young donkey, and most likely the young donkey would have been tied up with its mother to help it ride. It had probably never been ridden before, so to help it stay calm, they would have brought them together. When he talks about laying the cloaks over the donkeys, he's not trying to ride two donkeys, as some scholars have maybe said. He's, he's just probably riding the colt, and the mom is there to help keep the colt calm. Uh, the thing that's interesting about a donkey and him riding in on a donkey is the, is the imagery that this brings. See, one of the things that we can know with just absolute clarity around this time, around what was Jesus doing, is that Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. In fact, one of the things that, that baffled me is at least three times, incredibly clearly, Jesus had literally laid out word for word what was going to happen when he went to Jerusalem and what, he need, what needed to happen. And yet every single person missed it. But for Jesus, he was doing something incredible. He was riding a donkey, not a white horse, you know, and he was riding into Jerusalem on this donkey. It, not only did it fulfill the prophecy that we see in Zechariah 9, 9 and Isaiah 62, but it also displayed something that most kings wouldn't do. In fact, we only have one king in, in scriptures that does it. It's in 1 Kings one thirty three, where a king during peace would ride a donkey. But most often, they would always ride a big white horse, a big powerful horse, and they'd come in and, with an entourage of people, and they would be proclaiming their kingship, their lordship over the people, and the people would be bowing down and, and applauding them. Instead, Jesus is riding in on a donkey to show that he is a humble king, that he's a servant, that he is not, he is not looking for affirmation of his character or purpose. He's showing his character or purpose by the meekness and the humility of riding a donkey. We see that they start proclaiming this psalm, say to the daughter of Zion, all these different things. They, they, are, they are literally pro proclaiming Psalm 118, which is really interesting. They're, they're prophesying this when they start singing Hosanna, when they say all these things. They're literally speaking about a psalm that talks about a builder, about the stone being rejected by the people. And so he goes on in here a little bit further. And verse 7 says, They brought the donkey and the colt and put, them, uh, and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Again, like we said, it's not that he's riding both donkeys. It's that he's riding on one. The cloaks are something that he sat on. Let's go a little bit further here in verse 8. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Jerusalem was, this was a, a, just a beautiful picture of what would have been done for a king. What the people are doing is, is rightfully done for a king in their place. And so many of the people, a lot of scholars assume that most of these people were Galileans, but many of these people had spent time seeing Jesus do miracle after miracle. And again, most of the people in Bethany and around in that area, uh, they had experienced or heard of or met Lazarus who had been raised from the dead by this Jesus that they're proclaiming as king. Mark tells us they're palm branches. This is where we get the name Palm Sunday from. 
And what they're doing is they're, they're literally laying the cloaks on the ground and the palm branches on the ground so that Jesus riding the donkey can walk over them. To do this, guys, is, is a way to prostrate yourself before the king. It's a way to say that I am in submission of you. You are our king and I will, I will follow your lordship. This was a beautiful thing. It was a, it was a complete surrender to them. It's, it's a saying that I'm not worthy of the ground that you walk on, essentially, is what this is saying. And they start proclaiming son of David. This is a messianic term for Messiah. So calling Jesus the son of David, they're literally proclaiming that he is the long-awaited Messiah. Now, now picture this again. Jerusalem's elevated. There's, there's already at this point so much hostility towards Jesus from the, from the religious leaders. And now they hear this crowd, this large crowd, proclaiming Hosanna, pro- proclaiming save us is what that means, saying, saying help us save us. And they're, they're literally yelling and they're calling him son of David. The gospel of Luke tells us that the Pharisees say, Jesus, correct them. Do you not know what they're doing? And Jesus just says, look, if they don't say it, the rocks will cry out. And so there's no misunderstanding to the people what is happening. But yet at the same time, the things they're doing come with this, just this massive, massive misunderstanding of what Jesus was doing. We see this over and over again. When, they, when they're yelling Hosanna, this is of Psalm 118. They're, they're literally, they're, they're proclaiming that Jesus is the cornerstone, that he's the one that's going to save them, that he's the redeemer. When they say Hosanna in the highest, they're literally calling upon the heavens to, to save them through this person. When they say Jesus, Hosanna, he comes in the name of, to come in the name of something, guys, isn't just to like, oh, that so-and-so sent me to this place. To come in the name of is, is, is a sense of representing him. So they're saying that coming in the name of God, he is representing God walking. Everything they're proclaiming about him is 100% true. Everything they're saying is right. The crowds proclaim that Jesus is, is God's representative, the one who would set forward the divine purpose. Both Luke and John add the word king to this, the king in this part of the crowd's cry. We know that ultimately they're asking God to save them, and they expect God to save them through Jesus. That's what they're proclaiming right now. And so Jesus riding on a donkey to fulfill prof- prophecy, showing his humility and walking in this way, for, for the crowds to start yelling Hosanna to the, to the king, to the to Hosanna on the highest to, to save us, for them, they're all looking at him, to the son of David, this, this messianic term. Every bit of history kind of falls in on this Palm Sunday where everything points to the fact that Jesus not only is the Messiah, but he's the one that will save them. What did they get wrong? We know the story. We know the story. We know that, that the people had the right idea. They even said the right things. We know that ultimately they, the problem was that they all wanted it to happen right then, the way that they saw it. So we all know what happened a few short days later. So he comes on a donkey's colt to be the stone that the builders will utterly reject on Friday. And that God himself will unveil as the very cornerstone on Sunday morning. Jesus is saving them from something so much greater than they thought they needed. See, the expectations they had of God actually blinded them from seeing what he was doing all along. The sounds of the crowd on Palm Sunday, blessed is he, would, would soon become crucify him. We need to we need, we read of the response to Jesus just because we know the rest of the story. We feel this deep tragedy of their words. I can't help but look at this and go, what were they thinking? How could they, they say and proclaim one thing on Sunday and then a few short days later say a completely different thing? And now, I'm sure there are some in the crowd that weren't there yelling crucify him. I understand that that's a possibility. 
But still, the crowds were there. They were such an uproar that it, it, it was heard in Jerusalem before they even showed up that the religious leaders were talking about, like, this is a stirring, this is a problem. We've got to do something about this. And although I don't think we should expect that we would be any different, look, if you think about it, the Pharisees and the people had their problems, but so do we. We have our problems. Look, if we know our hearts apart from Jesus, is it really that hard to think that you could hear, if you listen to the crowd, you would probably hear your own shouts of crucify him along with theirs? We'd hear our praise, hollow as it, were, as it was, and then by Friday, ashamed, we'd hear our mocking voice call out among the scoffers. After all, it's, it's not the righteous that Jesus came for, but the sinners. He didn't come to save the righteous. He came to save the sinners. And we are those sinners. We are the people that would have been just as possible. As much as I would love to say, no, there's no way I would yell these things. But we would have gotten enticed by the crowd. Look at what Facebook does to people today. It doesn't take a person riding in on a donkey. Look at, what, look at how quickly the crowds can turn to panic or fear or praise or aggression. We're all susceptible to this. This is still our problem too. After all that Jesus did, after all that they proclaimed, they still stood a few short days later and said, crucify him. And the, the same can be said of us in our lives. What happens when things don't live up to our expectations? See, what they were wanting him to do, they were wanting him to come in and crush Rome. They were thinking of the Passover, the Exodus, how, how God had freed the Israelites from Egypt's rule. So they're saying, now God is gonna finally free the Israelites from Rome's rule. And so their expectations of what Jesus was going to do was so much smaller than what he was actually doing. They wanted him to save them based on what they were thinking, based on what they wanted. But Jesus had something so much greater planned. They wanted him to save them from the oppression of Rome, and, and Jesus is about saving them from the oppression of sin and death. They never stopped to listen to Jesus, to put his, the words of his teaching firm in their hearts. He was doing more than just redeeming, redeeming Israel. He was redeeming the whole world, the only way that it could be done. Maybe many of you are doing right now, you know, when, when things get difficult, how willing are you to follow even when it is really hard to follow? How willing are you to, to continue to press in and, and proclaim that Jesus is king in your life even when what you wanted doesn't happen? Many of you right today are saying, save, save me, Jesus. Save me from, from economic crash. Save me from, from whatever health issues there may be. Save me from losing my job. Save, save this community. Save me from my boredom. Save me from depression. Many of you are asking Jesus to save you for things that are very good. It's not bad. Jesus does care about these things. That's not what I'm saying. We see that, that he cares immensely about these in a verse like Psalm 34, 17 through 18, where it says, when the righteous cry for help, when the righteous, when the, the children of God cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Some of you are crushed. The Lord is near. He cares about you deeply. But like the people in Matthew, we can call out to God to save us from what we see. But sometimes we, we miss the fact that ultimately he's about accomplishing God's purposes and not ours. We see this over and over again in Jesus' life. John 8, 28 is a perfect example of it. It says, so Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, again, one other time, telling him, hey, look, this is gonna happen. When you've lifted him up, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Look, Jesus isn't about accomplishing our will, our purposes. He's about accomplishing the Lord's will. He's about doing what the Father asks of him. He's fully obedient to him. 
So what does this mean for us? Does this mean that we shouldn't be asking God, save us from our finances or, or save our business or save, our, uh, save us in our health or, or help me get through these things? Should we be worried about those things or should we not be asking that? No, not at all. In fact, Jesus models the very posture with which we are to ask at the most crucial time in all of his walking on the earth. Look at Luke 22, 41 through 44. And Jesus, he, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, look, at, look what he's asking, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. He knows the plan. He was a part of the plan. He is God. He knows what was to be accomplished. He knows what he had to do. He knows what needed to happen when he was all the way back in Galilee and he faced Jerusalem and said, I must go there. He knew what that meant for him. But yet he still comes to the Father and he asks, if there's, if there's a way, if there's another way, if, if it's your will, if you are willing, would you be willing to do this? And just in case we were wondering if he was actually asking with a sincere heart, look what the rest of the scripture says. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Guys, it is obvious that Jesus was asking with a genuine heart. But he shows us a posture in that. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. And see, too often, if the crowd had maybe seen on Palm Sunday that they were expecting something that Jesus was going to do, but ultimately going to do in a totally different way than they had expected, maybe they wouldn't have missed all the things that Jesus was trying to teach them through that. And the same is true of us. We can ask. We can ask God, help us. Help us with our finances. Help us with our family struggles. Help us through this depression. Help us through whatever it may be. There's nothing wrong with turning to the Lord for that. We just saw this, that God cares about the brokenhearted, that God is willing for us to ask. And he says that ultimately he will accomplish his will. But at the end of the day, when you ask God these questions, one of two things is going to happen in your life. You're either going to crown him or crucify him with your life. There's really no option, see? If you, if you have expectations that God is going to do something, and in your mind those expectations aren't met, you're most likely going to be part of the crowd that says crucify him just a little bit later. You're going to be the person that says, obviously God's not good, or obviously God doesn't care, or because I expected, I asked him to do this and he didn't do it, as if God was at our beck and call only doing what we want, when ultimately what he's doing is what we need. He's making us more and more and more like Jesus. So you're either going to crucify him or crown him. Look, there's... there's nothing wrong with expectations. They lead to questions of God, and, and is he sovereign, or how can God be good? And th those questions happen, but if those aren't met, if those answers, if you don't get the answers that suffice to your desire, if you don't, if they don't meet the needs, or they don't connect with you the way that you're hoping they will, then most likely you're the crowd that yells crucify him a few days later, because he doesn't live up to what you think you need. If you crown him, here's the thing, if you crown him, you still have those questions. Those questions don't go away. The same questions are there. It's not that the questions in themselves are bad. It's, it's that you ultimately ask them and you wrestle with God. But at the end of the day, you recognize that he's about accomplishing his will and his will will be done. And you desire to bring him glory by submitting your life to him. This is what it means for him to be king. The king isn't someone we have control over. The king is the one who has control over us. So you can still wrestle and you can still ask those questions, but, but instead of yelling crucify him on Friday, you'd still be yelling Hosanna. You'd still be yelling praise God. You'd still be yelling hallelujah instead of crucify him because ultimately you know that your life is in his hands and that he is in control. The people wanted a prophet, but this prophet would tell them that their city was under God's imminent judgment. We see that in chapter 24. They wanted a Messiah, but this one was going to be enthroned on a pagan cross. They wanted to be rescued from evil. And oppression, but Jesus was going to rescue them from evil in its full depths, not just the surface evil of Roman occupation and the exploitation by the rich. 
precisely because Jesus says yes to their desires at the deepest level, he will have to say no or wait to the desires they are conscious of and have expressed. Jesus is about answering our prayers. He will heal you entirely. He will heal us to a spot of a new body, a resurrected body. He was already the first fruits of this. We've been talking about this over and over again. Jesus is hearing our prayers. God is hearing our prayers, but he's answering him at the deepest level, that levels that maybe we aren't even completely aware of or even partially aware of and may not be for years to come. Here's the other really beautiful thing about Palm Sunday is that there was a crowd of people crying out to Jesus that he's their king. And even if it was short-lived or maybe it was for the wrong motivation, I, I like to think that maybe some of them genuinely were believing him as their king, not just for what he would do ultimately to Rome, but there were those that probably weren't a part of the crowd in Jerusalem saying crucify him. There were those, we, we know of some that weren't yelling that. I'm assuming there were more. The same can be true for you. If you're here listening to this today, whether you're sitting at home or you just, you just kind of felt like you had nothing better to do than to watch this video, and you don't believe in Jesus, you haven't submitted your life to him as king, you haven't given yourself entirely to him as Lord and Savior, well, now's your chance to call upon him to save you. And not just save you from your current struggles or your issues that you may have in life, but to save you from the entirety of yourself, the sinfulness that is yourself, the death that comes as a part of that sin to save you. Romans 10.9 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To confess is to acknowledge as true. To say that Jesus is Lord isn't to just call him as a Lord, it's to submit to him and say he's supreme controller of your life. It's not too late to ever call on Jesus to save you. And maybe for some of you, you've been proclaiming, save me, Jesus, save me from these miniature circumstances, but you never stop to zoom out just a little bit and say, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing that's, that's gonna make me look like your son, Jesus? What are you doing to sanctify me, to grow me, to create in me something that is better than gold, that's refined? What are you doing? We're gonna do something a little bit different on our video today. We're gonna actually sing a song today. We're gonna sing Hosanna, but I wanna challenge you to just not sing this song because, well, it's happening and your, your mind just kind of goes to that. Instead, I wanna I I challenge you not to just watch John sing as he does it, but I wanna challenge you to really sing this as if you're asking the Lord to save you, not just from your current struggles, although he genuinely cares about those. Go back and read that song. You're not asking him to save you from, from the one thing that you can see but there's a, a group of lyrics. This song says this. It says, heal my heart and make it clean. It says, open up my eyes to the things unseen. See, many of us need to understand that our hearts need to be healed. There, God needs to save us in a way that there's a brokenness in our heart, whether it's a brokenness of never, ever proclaiming him as Lord, or it's a brokenness of I have proclaimed him as Lord, but I continually give myself to these sins. Ask him to heal you, to save you, to make you clean, to open your eyes to the things that you're seeing. Ask him to save you from the things that you don't know you need saved from. What would it look like for you to proclaim, Lord, Hosanna, you are king. You are my God. You are my savior. You are my Messiah for the things that I don't even know that I need. It says, show me how to love like you and have loved me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Guys, don't just say these words. Don't ask God to just show you to love like he does and then not actually give yourself to that. Last section says, everything I am for your kingdom's cause as I walk from earth into eternity. As we've spent a lot of time talking about resurrection, obviously we will talk about it again. Our life does not end here. This, what we are experiencing today, is not the way that God has it intended to go. He is going to usher in 
his new heavens and his new earth. And we will have a new resurrected body and it will be amazing. And we have an opportunity today to live true, to live truthfully and faithfully in light of that truth. So would you let this be a prayer and not just words falling from your lips. Surrender your entire self to Jesus. Let him save you on his agenda, not yours. Whether it's salvation for the first time or maybe for real this time or it's him working on your heart through this trying time. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for, for saving us. God, for, for not just saving us from the oppression of government, God, but for saving us from the oppression of sin and death. Father, forgive us for the many times in our lives, practically, where we, where we crown you as king, and then minutes or days or, or moments later, we, we yell out, crucify you with our life. Forgive us for the ways that we continually give ourselves to the sinfulness that is not who we are of your, as your children. Father, we want to be your kids, not just as someone that knows that we've been saved, but as someone that lives for you today. And so God, help us to love you. Help us to, to serve you. Help us to see the things that we don't see, God. Help us to be faithfully walking out what it means to be your child. God, because you have saved us. For anyone who calls upon your name, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So God, thank you. Thank you for that. We love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we pray, God, we pray that you be glorified in everything we say and do. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.